Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. With the 2016 election careening toward Judgment Day, Louis Black is back on Broadway this fall, giving voice to the grand majority of Americans and citizens worldwide perplexed at our politics and our political discussion. Black is performing Black to the Future Monday nights on Broadway and heading out on the road for tour dates across the country in between, delivering his comedic rants and interacting with fans both in his live audience and live streaming online. Black called into Showbiz Studios to talk about what's happening now and how he found his way from playwriting to stand-up comedy through three hosts of Comedy Central's The Daily Show to now. So let's get to it! How, how does it feel being back on Broadway, even though you're also on tour? Um, you know, it's, uh, it, I, I like, I love being able to walk from my apartment to work. You know, I mean, it's so rare. Uh, you know, I travel thousands of miles to go to venues. So to be able to actually leave my apartment and walk about three blocks, it's great. Does it, does it feel any different this time around being, being on a Broadway stage or, or, or is it just another stage? I mean, there is, you know, once you're doing, to be honest, what, 10 minutes into it, it's another stage, mm-hmm. but you're also, uh, but there's a kind of a, but, but no matter what, you, you can't avoid the fact that you're, uh, you're kind of energized because of it, because it is, you feel like you gotta give more, mm-hmm. um, only because it's, you know, it, it is Broadway, you know, and you, you are, are on the stage that you're on, you're on your feet is there. You know, Hamilton's down the street. You, you want to at least, you know, you want to make a show. You know, it's not like any other place in the world. You're not like, if I'm performing in a town, there may be a rock band in the Coliseum and me. Right. This is like, um, you know, you know, like it or not, people, you know, even though it's not the same night that they're on, you're still in that company. Right. Uh, because also, I can't. What? No, go on. Go on. Oh, I was going to say, because Monday is normally a dark night. For, for Broadway right. shows, right? So, I, yeah. I I did notice that uh, there are emails that you are also doing a ticket lottery, just like Hamilton does. No, I don't have the. I I, I, I just don't even have the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean we. You would ask to be able to meet with me. It was impossible. I right. mean, it's just I have. There is. I mean, I'm basically trying to find. Like. You know, I, dinner is kind of like the time I actually get to relax because it's you know I'm on. We're actually in uh, Ann Arbor right now, we're, and I'm doing a show tonight. And you were just in so another I'm city last the, night, so. Yeah, and I was in Toledo last night. <laughs> Second most depressed city in America. <laughs> and, uh, and the um, and East Lansing tomorrow. So I'm doing, so I'm continuing to tour mm-hmm. and doing this. And so, uh, so I continue to do interviews, and uh, I'm going to be on the, Daily show October third, so it's it's still a full it's a full schedule. Right. Speaking of the Daily Show, you're you're perhaps one of the few, if not the only person who's who's been able to last through all three hosts of the Daily yeah. Show. <laughs> how did, how did... I had nowhere I had nowhere else to go. 
do, do, do you feel like the elder statesman coming in now with Trevor and the and the kids that he's brought as as new correspondents? I feel like show them how to dress <laughs> <laughs> properly. Uh, yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, they're very nice. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, and, and a lot of the gang is still. I mean, a lot of the, the folks that have been there, you know, the behind the scenes crew. A lot of them have been there forever. You know, like the floor manager, Spinney, has been there forever <laughs> with me. You know, so I mean, we there are enough people around who are as, as old as I am that I don't feel like I'm out of the pool. <laughs> they make you feel at home when you come back. Yes, I, um, no, but I like working. Trevor's very nice. I mean, you know, it's a nice look. No matter what, it's, a, it's still a very talented group of people over there. Right. You know, your 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 show and, and your your act is is now so so renowned for being political and and of course the broadway broadway run coincides with the election but when you were first making that transition from playwright to stand-up you weren't quite that political were you no in in a way i was giving uh for a long time i was people talked about me being a political comic and i was doing 10 minutes but, you know, I mean, you didn't have a lot of political comics at all. You know, there was Wilders and Scott Blakeman and um, uh, Jimmy Tingle. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and those were the guys. And I was, and they were doing doing a whole political sets. I was doing like 10, 12 minutes and people thought I was a political comic. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then it just, it, it, part of it moved in that direction, uh, it, you know, because in, in the only way I can really simplify this is because uh uh i i um my comedy comes from anger i'm funniest when i'm angry so i gravitate toward things that make me angry and really politics more and more as i have uh, grown older is the thing that makes me the angriest because it's just the, it's the same thing over and over and over again i'm like and then i get angry and frustrated because i'm making jokes about the same thing that i just made jokes about but i have to make a funnier joke than the one before because it's still the same thing <laughs> Right, it's still the same fucking problem. And I know of the past year or a few years, you, you've talked at length about how the news has gotten so outlandish that the news itself is a joke, which makes satire that much more difficult. Yeah, that's really that's been the the key to this this time. I mean, I, I kind of did it. You know, I, was, I I once went on stage and I said, you know, this you know this is before. Uh, this is when Michael Jackson was in the news constantly, and I would just say, uh, you know, and I just say, uh, Michael Jackson, the audience and laugh, and I go, and that's it. I don't have to say anymore. <laughs> and then it's moved now into this, you know, now it really has reached the point where I came up with the whole, you know, where it's, you know, we live, in, you know, the, how am I supposed to make something funnier? Right. How do you make something that's already funny funnier? How do you satirize things that are satirical? What do you, what do you find works for you in that regard? Um, anger? Uh, <laughs> Is it just the, the anger? The anger, yeah. Well, well, no, it's just it's it's um, kind of staying away from. I mean, because it's hard, you know. Because what's the gig then? The gig would be just you know he said this, then she said that, then he said this. You know? um, so it was finding other things, you know, finding the things that I really wanted to talk about. I mean, I generally gravitate toward trying to find how what these people talk about affect our lives. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, when Rick Santorum started talking about homosexuality, uh, you know, what, you know, the, the gay people, you know, it was incest and, uh, you know, this was the road to madness. Uh, you know, I could go off. I didn't go up on Rick Santorum. I, I went slightly up on Rick Santorum, but I went mainly up on what he was saying. And so the same thing now, it's the NRA. The NRA, by the but the fact that the NRA has talked about mental health, <laughs> and really, were the first ones to bring it up, allowed that. If I went, wow, that opens the door, right, for me. A to talk about mental health, B kind of sideswipe the NRA without having been doing it in a fashion that because uh, it's getting away with, uh, you know, you want to keep, you want to. You, you know, you kind of want to nail it without people, you know, going, you know, screaming, well, what do you mean? You, you, I care. You know, I get that occasionally. The gun care, you know, they go psychotic. But, mm-hmm. but, but the, this is kind of toned them down because there's nothing they can say. You know? Yeah. I, I haven't really ever talked to you that much about, uh, the early days in the West Bank Cafe. And I'm curious to know how, how that, that gig came about. That was totally, um, I had, I'd come to New York early on and I've been in New York. I ran a room in the East Village called Sylvette's because my whole thing was trying to find a room where I could do, you know, sketches and theater and music, all sorts of things Mm -hmm. and, and, and do stand up. Um, and then so I could write during the day and, um, and then I ran that for a while, and that, that thing kind of folded up, and uh, I would wander around and do kind of gigs around town. But not, I didn't go to comedy clubs because I found them. Uh, I didn't like this. I, I, I was 30 by that point. And it, you know, this whole idea of standing there and waiting until you get a slip of paper, and then a lot of things happen. With this is- going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of appearing at, at 1 in the morning. I'm going, I'm not doing this. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd want to be a comic. I don't need to do this. Is this at the height of the eighties? Is this at the height of the eighties boom, or when was this? No, no, this was literally uh, the early eighties. Okay. You'd you'd still have to you'd have to walk down there and get a slip to be you know catch a rising star and Mm -hmm. stuff. But you know the first fifteen would get to go on. (laughs) You know the only difference was the open, but it wasn't a bringer show. Okay, you didn't have to bring people. So, um, that was. but, you know, as a result, you know, nobody showed up anyway. <laughs> you had to get, you still had to get four or five people to fucking show up, you know, for your own sanity. And you decided um, early but, on that wasn't for you. Yeah, I just, well, I wasn't headed to be a comic, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was going, why am I, I don't need to torture myself like this. I can find a space. Mm-hmm. Because there were plenty of spaces, uh, you know, theaters and stuff that, we, you know, then I knew people and I'd say, do you mind if I use this space? And, and it was like once a month or once every six weeks. Meanwhile, a friend of mine had moved to town that had gone to the drama school with me. And um, his name was Rand Forrester. And Rand, um, he ended up, uh, he was working across the street at a place called the Manhattan Punchline. He started running... Um, the, the Manhattan Punchline took over the the, the downstairs at the, at the West Bank. Okay, it was just kind of a a shell of a theater, really. <laughs> and he started putting shows in there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then he said, "You want to come down here and work?" I went, "Great!" So I went down there and worked. And he brought down uh, the owner of the place, Steve Olson, and then eventually uh, Rusty McGee, 
who also we worked and, and did music. So Rand was a director, I was a playwright. Uh, Rusty was, was a musical uh, guy. And uh, we sat down with uh, Steve, uh, you know, because Rand said, you guys want to run a room here? And I went, yeah. And so we sat down with Steve Olsen and presented him an idea. And, uh, and he liked it. And so, uh, and that idea basically was since we would do, uh, you know, one act plays without big sets, mm-hmm. you know, mainly to just concentrate on the writing. It had to be simple. People had to bring an audience. Um, and we would find people that we, you know, there were people that we knew and then people that, that, that they knew that if they thought these people were talented, um, we would go ahead and go, okay, we'll give them a shot. And so we, uh, so we wanted to do those shows. We wanted to do music, and that would be uh, Rusty would kind of, you know, deal with that. And uh, I read the plays that were coming in. So did Rand. And then uh, there was uh, sketches, you know, sketch comedy groups that were around. There was also nowhere else to fucking work in New York at that point. Okay. There was just nowhere, especially if you were an actor coming out of uh, coming into the city. You know, they were not. If you looked at the the Broadway box scores, barely existed. There were like 12, 15, 20 shows on Broadway. It was not, it was not a good time. And uh, so what we, so we, you know, and then what, the big thing we wanted to do too, which is the, was the turning point for for me, was is a, a free show on Saturdays at midnight. We'd none of our friends had any money, mm-hmm. so we wanted a place where they could come and drink. And uh, so we ran a show at midnight, and it was also. You know, and it was great because Studio 54 was kind of in its glory, you know, and you could go there for 25 or 30 bucks to get in, and we were charging nothing. And, uh, <laughs> so, people, so people in the neighborhood and uh, actors and, and folks who, you know, writers who wanted to do stand-up, um, actors who wanted to do stand-up. My opening act, John Bowman, that's how I met him. He was, he was acting okay. in town, but he also had been doing stand-up forever. And had been a touring stand-up, and he he came in and started doing his stand-up, and uh, um, and then he and another friend of ours, uh, another actor, they started doing sketches together, and other actors I knew started putting together little pieces to put on in this free show. And Rusty did music. We had singers come in, and we had a variety show that could run two and a half hours, and um, and then I would introduce every show, okay, everything that came in there. And uh, we were doing, we were working initially seven nights a week. So we were doing plays, two shows a night, and doing two separate one acts, three nights a week. And then on the weekends, we fooled around with stuff. And if stuff really worked and people really liked it, we started bringing it back. But in front of every show, I would start talking. And that's really where I started to make the transition out of playwriting into becoming a comic because I became really comfortable on stage. And that you, was the thing that was missing from my act. When you were when you were hosting and doing the the time up front, were you preparing material or were you were you just riffing in the moment? Um, I, I you know I was coming up with stuff because every night I'd have to do it, and I started to come up with uh, certain things that you know that uh, became like part of what might stick up there, which was like you know we had a, I I was there as a you know, I was the playwright in residence. I was there on a Stowitz and I have fellowship in playwriting. So, you know, and that the bar really fed, you know, the bar was the fellowship to the theater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said that, uh, and then I'd say, you know, next week, and this would be true, next week we're doing a play by me. 
And uh, the reason we're doing that play is because I'm in charge. And, uh, and, and I read all the plays, and mine was the best. And I said, and you just think about how stupid you would be if you were the playwright residence and read your own play. And said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. How, how how long were you hosting there before you went from saying, I'm not a comic, I'm not going to be a comic, to, oh, I'm a comic? Eight years. <laughs> Did you record the... Because I still believed I, still believed I was going to be a fucking playwright. Mm-hmm. You know, I was delusional. <laughs> what was the moment that, that the delusion dropped and you were able to face the new reality? I started to be... Um, People started coming in, like Rick Newman, who ran Capture Rising Star, and some others from over there, and said, come on over and uh, why don't you work our club? Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? I said, you know, I was at your club, and I got fucked at your club. <laughs> coming over there, fucking, no, 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 it's going to be okay, mm-hmm. really. And uh, so I, I started to get... To, to, to stumble into clubs around town and and the word had gotten out so I started to get work there and it was the way in which I learned I mean what I was doing needed to be, it was I, I, I learned what I had to do to kind of take what I was doing at the West Bank and do it in uh, a public you know to do it in a comedy club and a two drink minimum then, kind so, of joint right and also in, in, you know because we had the liquor but it was also you know, how do you, you know, what is, you know, what's, what is it that I, what's the next step? You know, what did my comedy need? I had a ton of it and I had a ton of material. How do I shape it? So I put, I had in front of me and I'll never forget it. I mean, it was uh, pivotal for me. It was, um, uh, Mario Cantone, um, Dennis Leary and, uh, Kevin Meany. Those were generally the guys that I worked with. Okay. That's a good crew. And, uh, it was really, and they had been, and they were all kind of coming into, you know, where, where they they were further down the road, you know, and coming into their own self. So for me, it was like I watched Dennis Leary do uh, the smoking bit, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> the first time I was in the club in, in Cash, and I saw him, and when I was going to work that night, he did a smoking bit, and I literally, in my brain went, well, that's the end of my fucking smoking bit. <laughs> that bit's a better bit. That's a great bit. I I couldn't even do that bit the way he's doing that bit. Even if I stole the bit, I couldn't do it. You know, just <laughs> paging just, Bill Hicks. I, paging I, I, Bill Hicks. It, it was just yeah, exactly. But I mean, it was like a beat a puffing. I mean, I just thought, wow. Mm-hmm. And I dropped it. And uh, so I learned really quick. Oh, do this. Uh, okay. So if I'm not going to do this, I can start with that. Right. What's What's going to set and, you apart uh, from everybody else? Yeah. You know, I was working with three really unique, totally different voices. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, um, and I'd be up there screaming about Reagan or whatever, but, and, um, uh, you know, whatever was going on toward the end of my acts. And then, and then the Mario Cantone would follow me and, uh, they'd introduce him and he'd be, uh, it, I would finish and walk up the stage and, uh, they'd introduce him and then he would, he would do, um, he would do Tina Turner doing What's Love Got to Do With It. <laughs> Which perfectly followed out of what I had done. It was really, I mean, it was just fun. It was, and it really, I, so I started to feel more comfortable there because, I mean, also Kevin and 
all three of those guys had more theatrical bents. Yeah, Kevin, I mean, he's definitely, the, the, he was always, he's always yeah, been very theatrical. And, and, yeah, and Dennis did, you know, you know, went on to act a lot. So they all had that theatricality. And so that was huge for me. Did you, did, uh, did the Daily Show come about through Liz Winstead or was that Madeline or who? Yeah, Liz, no, Liz and uh, Hank Gallo. Okay. Yeah, no, I know you've worked with, Hank has, has worked with you on books and, and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, he was the producer of it. He was one of the producers. Okay. And did they pitch it to you or did you pitch it to? to oh, them? no, I wouldn't have, you know, they pitched it to me. They said, do you want to do this? And I went, yeah. <laughs> yes, I want to do this. I'm okay. This is, you know, because what I had was, I had material. They knew I had material. <laughs> and, uh, and they needed to fill time. Oh, okay. So that's how I fell so in. It's like, oh, we'll just give Lewis five minutes, and that's uh, that solves five minutes a yeah. week for us. Exactly. Did, did and what it was initially was yeah. I was I improv it because we had no audience, <laughs> so I would just come in with an outline, mm-hmm. and they they had the camera on me, and I would do I do a run, and then they go, that was really good. Keep that, drop that, do this, and then I do it again, and we do it like three or four times, and then get it, and it would be good to go. You know, I don't. I don't know that I realized that the Daily Show didn't have an audience in the beginning. Initially, for about four weeks or six weeks. Okay. Uh, I, I'd be hard pressed to remember, but I remember doing it at, at least four to six weeks, and then um, then they brought in an audience, and then I started writing it out, <laughs> putting it on a teleprompter. Then Hank and I, Liz would, uh, they would work on it with me, and then uh, we'd go with that, and then it evolved from there. I said, you know, what we could do is. Um, you know, I'd like to do what I really wanted to do was, uh, and it never came to be, and it uh, will always be a little bit of a bane of my existence. What I really wanted to do was three minutes, uh, at the end of every week, um, where I would do like the three minute news piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I do the, 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 um, here's what's happened this week and do it in three minutes. Okay. And yell and scream. But in that, but, and so that basically uh, became, that was what I pitched and it became, we have a ton of, um, video and, uh, we've got access to it and we're going to throw it at you and then <laughs> you and two writers and Hank will sit down in a room and, uh, we, you know, we'll figure out what, you know, so they gave us a bunch of videos and then we put them all together, you know, with like, uh, you know, you know, a squirrel on a skateboard, on a right. uh, surfboard, or whatever the fuck, a motorboat, <laughs> whatever the fuck. It was all madness, and it was fun, but it really wasn't what I wanted to do. And you know, at times we nail some stuff, and it was still it was funny. I mean, you know, it made my name. So what are you gonna do? Right. Well, in one one year, Comedy Central did have you do that for a year in review. Yes, but um. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure with 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 Trevor, I'm sure Trevor's open to ideas. If you want to still pitch that, that yeah, I'm sure. I, I, yeah, but I'm kind of you know, it's 20 years, and I'm now it's and now it's fine. I mean, we're you know, they uh, essentially it's what happened is is I evolved because of my career. I evolved out of time. I, you know, it's like what I really did have. What I've got now is is that you know they'll they're going to pick they pick the subject then. They throw it at me. I give them. I throw back some stuff. Then mm-hmm. they, then they have the two writers work on it. And the, the, and the, what's you know what's great is the writers know my style. So 
they write it, then I come back, and then and then I sit down with them for a couple of hours. We go through it and uh, punch up things, and, and then we do a rehearsal, then do a couple more edits and little things, and then uh, we, we're good to go. One of, one, one of the other things I'm personally grateful for you doing is um, accepting Montreal's offer to, to kick off their, their keynotes at Just for Laughs. Because when oh, you yeah. because when you did that 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 started a a period where for the next five or six years they got comedians to come in and s- jumpstart that final week of the festival with a really powerful inspirational message to the community and to the industry at large. You know, I know the year oh, after thanks. the year after you was was, yeah. was Mark Marin and then Patton Oswalt. Yeah, uh, a couple of years ago Dana Gould did it, and uh, I, I wonder what what you think about the industry now when you look at it? Uh, I, you know, my, you know, the, 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 I think it's, uh, you know, it's grown a little and it's, uh, continues to have the, the problem of, um, that it's, it's had for years, which people who really don't know comedy are determining what, what comedy is. Mm-hmm. And they have no clue. <laughs> you know, the people who've never written a joke, um, who aren't funny. I mean, I've worked with people, I've worked with people in this business who were in high positions within shows. At the, I mean, at the Daily Show, who were not funny. <laughs> and you sit there and go, are you fucking, how did this fucking happen? <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, and there, and there are people who've risen to the top who really, you know, think they know what it is. And now this year, now we got, you know, and now they're going, um, you know, ABC, they're all kind of coming up with their own, you know, oh, boy, it's got to be quirky. Well, they say, stay, stay, you know, we'll see what it is. Mm-hmm. But chances are their idea of, you know, there's, I can guarantee there are people who don't know what the quirky is. The, the You know, the times that it really seems to work, and I don't know why they miss it, um, is when um, you uh, allow the talent to really uh, work on what they're doing. You know, Seinfeld being under the radar, and they just kind of let them go. You know, and you let it evolve. Or, you know, and now we've reached the point where, you know, like, you know, it was Amazon, I guess, or I think it's Amazon, I can't, Netflix. Whoever gave Maria Bamford a show? That was uh, Netflix. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, and leave, leave her alone with, uh, with, uh, the writers and you've got, you, you've got, it's, it's terrific. Yeah, Lady Dynamite's a dynamite show. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, what? I don't know what these fucking idiots think <laughs> in their offices. You know, they feel like they've got to do, you know, I've heard this all my life, but there, there always is that sense that they have to do something. No, you don't. <laughs> Go to lunch, asshole. <laughs> lunch seems much more productive than, than signing the, the next big Instagram person. Right. And then I don't, you know, and and then, you know, and then we have the other problem with the, uh, you know, the idea that somebody who who does three minutes on YouTube, and yet there are people who are going to evolve and come out of that, but there are people who are going to be seriously, uh, you know, uh, crash, you know, it's you know, you're going to have crash and burn, you got a lot of crash and burn coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to think that that determines it, because really, and especially in the world of stand-up, because the... Ultimately, I think if you ask the ones who, Bill Burr, um, Louis, um, uh, 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 Brian Regan, Kathleen Madigan, the ones who tour, 
mm-hmm. consistently. Um, David Tell, uh, you know, what is it that, um, what do you, you know, how do you evolve as a comic? You evolve as a comic by going on the road and fucking going from room to room to room. You know, music in a sense, you know, isn't as far along as it should be because of American Idol and the voice. Yeah. They, I mean, they, come on. <laughs> Talent competition for the stars. Um, right. You know, I mean, no, you, you go from room to room to room and you play your music. We work with Kelly Pickler, who I like. I like, I like you know, I like Kelly Pickler, but. You do we USO road, tours with her, was, right? Yeah, we yeah we did a U.S. tour together. And one of the things was initially, you know, she'd been on uh, American Idol, and, and was, she did not. She, there were certain things she did not, you know, did not pick up because she hadn't done enough clubs. Right, the actual, you know, just in put, terms of yeah, mics and you know, you know, dealing with stuff, sage stuff. The, the things you learn by putting the work show. in. Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's... Because in the end, they can do all. They can talk about this shit all they want, and they're fucking. In they is they is they sit there in whatever mausoleum that they think is producing, you know, uh, media, and uh, they can talk about it, but they don't. Um, they don't realize, you know, that, that in the end, I mean, it is the work. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember coming out of college and. I talked to my mentor in journalism and, and asked him for advice, and he said, forget journalism school. Just start doing the work. Get a job. Go to a newspaper yeah. and get a job. Um, who who at this point, I know you have a crew with John Bowman and Kathleen Madigan. Who do you lean on uh, at this point in your career for advice or counsel to to just kind of navigate the the changing currents of, of the industry? No, my, no, I'm I just kind of go on my own. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any uh, any favorites like uh, books or, or or songs or or movies for inspiration that uh, keep you going when when you when, well, when you're yeah. too crazy? I mean, oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Doctor Strange Love is really big. I mean, it's really there's not. I, I don't know when that gets topped because of the <laughs> the recent. You know, that was the, you know, the satire on, you know, that was the ultimate satire. It was just a, a dumb death. I mean, you know, on the end. I mean, it was really a, a magnificent in the act. I mean, I can watch it over and over and over again. Well, I can, and I can, the guy, there's, there's a way I can watch The Godfather all over again. Um, but those, you know, uh, um, there are, uh, George Garland and Richard Pryor and, um, uh, I got this, I'll tell you, I got to spend time whenever I'm around people like you know, I was around um, Tommy's, uh, Tommy Smothers, mm-hmm. I did, you know, about three or four times, you know, just, you know, when you get that opportunity to be around those people and can and, and listen to them, uh, you know, the, you know, and, and what, how, you know, and really, cause I don't, I didn't know the story of, you know, the Smothers Brothers show. So we get it from him and what it was like and, uh, uh, yeah, that's you know, how it worked. That's real censorship. Real, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really it. And uh, you know, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't do it. My, you know, I've got friends who I talk to. I've mm-hmm. got uh, um, uh, the, uh, you know, that. But really, um, what we're doing, what well, the one thing we've done now is um, we're doing um, the, after every show. I don't know if you know this. We stream. Oh yeah, I watched. I watched the other the other night. Yeah. Yeah. 
and we do a live stream. And I don't really, I, I can't for the fucking life of me figure out, if, you know, how successful it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I have no clue. <laughs> uh, but I, I do know that it's, you know, that um, it's my, it's essentially my TV show. And it's 1955, and it's just me and a microphone and a couple of cameras. And I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And I have moments, and I know when it's really working, and I have moments where I go, holy fuck. Yeah, I saw you wrestling oh, with yeah. your iPad the other night. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Those are always good. That's, that's it. That always works because it's A, it's true, and B, you know, everybody goes through it. <laughs> uh. um, well, uh, I, I appreciate you uh, you allowing uh, sharing your counsel with me over this last half hour, and I and I certainly hope that the 2016 election doesn't end like Doctor Strangelove. No, it won't. <laughs> I actually, it can't. It can't. <laughs> can't possibly. We, we all we all have to continue to make somewhat of a living. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, Lewis. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh, and it was a pleasure. I'm sorry we couldn't get together, but thank you some other time. Yeah, some other time, definitely. Thanks. Okay, great. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.